0: listening to an artist interview from chirp radio you can find more interviews at chirpradio.org podcasts hi this is mick and you're listening to a chirp radio artist interview series i am on the line right now with chicago everything man mike reed how are you doing today mike i'm doing great mick thanks for having me to just to like get this straight, you're actually one of the founders of uh, the Pitchfork Music Fest. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, myself and, you know, the original Pitchfork crew, uh, of course, Ryan Schreiber, who's the founder, Chris Kasky, and uh, who was the, I mean, he had different t- titles over the time, but president, ran the business aspect, and, and that th- at that time, Scott Plagenhoff, who was the, like, the senior editor. Yeah, that was the beginning parts of Pitchfork, which came out of a, an event that we had done the year before called Intonation, which was also there was a precursor to that, an event called Interchange. That was my first getting my feet wet on a, a kind of a festival sort of nature. And this was a group of people, I would say, key to it, a, a still a really great friend and collaborator of mine, Anders Lindahl and his wife, Julie Sampson. Came from more of a political world, and that year we were trying to raise focus and raise some money for the 2004 election, and especially trying to get people out to um, northern Indiana and Wisconsin to sort of canvass and get people registered and get them out to the polls. You know, there's people that actually came to the first few versions of it that were like 18 or 19 that ended up actually working on the festival. Uh, Adam Krefman, who was the director for events on the Pitchfork side, I mean, he told me that he drove up to go to that specifically, the first first one. I mean, I think the first one, our, our tagline was, there was two, 22 bands, and I think it cost 22 bucks. It was like a dollar a band. <laughs> that was our little selling point. Well, that's um, a pretty good deal. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing deal. Um, but yeah, so it still is obviously a flagship event for them and, uh, you know, one that's known nationally and internationally. So and it's it's interesting because it's in a little park and, you know, the near west side of Chicago and it's not massive. It's really um, but, I you know, that's the thing. I'm glad it's not massive. I think most people are that come to it. It's it's just the right amount of
0: festival. Right. Right. You're not ever expanding the way that some festivals are. The other things that
1: still not turn into a lifestyle event, it's about music and music discovery. Um, whereas, obviously, the plethora of, the, of festivals out there are mostly centering around what is the cultural aspect of the lifestyle that goes with this. Not necessarily about that the music comes first. See, that's still first
0: and foremost to what we do. Can you talk a little bit about how Chirp got involved with the festival?
1: Uh, I think like I mentioned before, one of the things that I wanted to do is trying to figure out how do all the aspects of of an event have the same sort of aesthetic idea. So if we're going to have vendors there, what would be the right type of vendors to have? Early on, Chirp was doing, I mean, Record Fair. I remember being at Pulaski Park. I remember once being there. And so I knew that that was happening, and I knew Sean Campbell. And so I just was like, you know what? What if you guys could do the record fair out? It's a simple, it's a simple move, a simple thought. I mean, I'd go to the record fair uh, when when they would have them in, indoors. And so why not ask that question? Chirp would bring in multiple vendors instead of us having to go through, you know, 40 or 50 vendors. It's like, no, 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 we're just going to talk to one organization and they'll do their thing. And that's sort of been the staple of how that happened. How Flatstock, the poster fair, mostly came through um, an association that I had with some different uh, poster makers like uh, Jay Ryan. It was essentially like trying to get with people who essentially have already established their own domain. So it just all kind of makes a lot of sense in that way.
0: How does that philosophy carry over to your work in organizing the Chicago Jazz Fest?
1: Well, you know what, I'll tell you a story. This is, is, is a musician, I don't as a jazz musician there was a number of years I didn't go to the jazz festival and kind of kind of didn't really want anything to do with it it just seemed so far removed from what I was doing musically and this is about I think maybe three or four years in the pitchfork they asked me to be on the committee and At the time period, there was a street closure that we couldn't get to happen for the festival. I don't really understand why they wouldn't let us close the street. And so I thought, I was like, you know what, I'm going to join the Jazz Festival Committee and work it from the inside and see if maybe one day I'll be able to get the street closed. So this was the reason I joined the Jazz Fest, essentially for to try and make Detroit a better festival. And now, all these years later, it's like, you know, I chaired the jazz festival now with, I think, going on 10 years. And it's, I've learned so much about it and its history and what I think the role that I play is one of, of service for some legacies, some deep institutional information that have been passed on from committee to committee to committee and it's always been run by people that are part of the overall jazz community so musicians writers different advocates and it's a completely volunteer sort of situation even though i might have a title as a chairperson it doesn't <laughs> i don't i don't get paid for it uh the luxury i get is to be able to call someone or send an email and say, hey, I think we have a gig for you. Like, that's the, that's the best luxury. And then to see that weekend happen, it's really that week for the jazz community sort of come to life. And it, it's that's, that's the biggest payoff. And I think since then, I've, I've learned a lot about sort of the legacy and how um, what community sort of means over a long period of time. I feel really responsible to that legacy instead of one that I created. It's one that I'm kind of continuing to, to grow and, and maintain.
0: quick question with everything you do for pitchfork and the city for jazz fest and then your own venues constellation and hungry brain how do you find time for your own solo work for your own solo expression as a jazz drummer
1: yeah that's always a great question and there's never enough time i mean i can kind of work from wherever so there may be a month where i'm in europe playing shows still working on stuff uh, remotely um, so that that obviously helps quite a bit. Um, and it's always been that way. Luckily, you know, over the years, things have grown, and I'm not necessarily in the weeds of everything pitchfork or not in the weeds of everything that's happening in Constellation. I have really great people that worked with me in the past. I still like to plow the snow in front of Constellation Laundry Brain. I, I won't let people do that because it gives me a few hours where I don't have to be in front of a screen.
0: So what is the status right now of People, Places, and Things, and uh, Flesh and Bone? Are those still active groups? Um, are you working on a record with either of them?
1: Yeah, well, Flesh and Bone is essentially just the ex- was an expanded version of People, Places, and Things. You know, the People, Places, and Things Quartet, you know, we originally got together exploring and recreating music that was inspired by the Chicago hard bop scene of the 50s. And doing it in our own sort of you know, free freebop way. Uh, we did a number of records with that, some with some of the great legends of the time period like iris sullivan and julian priester and not hoyle and the flesh and bone project was another expansion of that based on a the incident we had on a tour people placing the thing the quartet we had a tour and we got ourselves um <laughs> trapped in the middle of a neo-nazi riot in the czech republic and had you know escorted on trains throughout the country until we got out of there it was, it was cr- kind of crazy but the Flesh and Bone project was essentially sort of a, a reflection on that, and we fleshed out the band a little bit more with a few more musicians. So that is its own thing. Healing Places, and Things, we actually are going to do some stuff at the end of August, uh, kind of right the week before the Jazz Festival, and we're going to do, I believe, one show with the Hungry Man, I believe it's the 27th, whatever that Sunday is, 26th or 27th, uh, with the great British pianist uh, Alexander Hawkins so he's coming into town we're going to do some recording for that and then we'll do um, a show around that and this last year I've actually been working on a double record project that I'm hoping will be out in the spring which is uh, two different bands but kind of one big release it's a a soundtrack for a New York Times article uh, called uh, The Lonely Death of George Bell it's kind of an article is about what happens to people who die by themselves and are inflamed no, it's like i actually kind of made a soundtrack without a movie and so we're trying to figure out what the uh, what the release sort of mechanism will be in terms of time timeline i think it'll be the screen
0: mike reed this has been a fantastic conversation Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me for the Chirp Radio Artist Interview Series. Again, this has been Mick in conversation with Mike Reed, the fantastic jazz drummer and organizer of the Pitchfork Festival, as well as one of the people who makes Chicago Jazz Fest happen every year. Thanks again, Mike. Thanks for having me. This has been an artist interview from Chirp Radio. You can find this and more interviews at chirpradio.org podcasts.